Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about hedges. I would like you to write down the one definition. This is our fourth message out of the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 10. We're talking about hedges, and here's my conceptual definition of what I'm after to teach you about how to build a hedge. A hedge is used in Scripture to illustrate God's divine strategic protection around his people against any and all weapons. How many of you are open for God's divine strategic protection around your life? Come on. We're open to that. Not only open, we're actually praying and asking and saying, Lord, can this be that I could have divine strategic protection around my life and against all these weapons the enemy is forming against me, all of his intentions. You don't know his intentions, but he has nothing but bad intentions for you. And the attacks of the enemy seeking to harass, harm, destroy God's work in us and around us. Now, the Lord Jesus himself said, in John chapter 10, verse 10 and following, and he's talking about himself as a shepherd, the Lord Jesus himself said, you have an enemy and he's a thief. And that thief comes in. Everyone say, comes in. Come on, say it out loud. Comes in. A little louder. We're talking about hedges that keep things out. And Jesus says, the thief comes in. The thief penetrates our hedge. The thief somehow penetrates our life. And Jesus says, the thief comes only, only. To kill, steal, and destroy. What he can't kill, he steals. What he can't steal, he maims, mangles, destroys, so it's not usable. The thief has one plan for your life. The thief wants everything about you and your character and your mind, everything about your goals and death and everything about what is good for you. And God only has good for you. Everything that God wants to do in and through your life, in and through your body, in and through your mind, in and through your emotions, in and through your gifting, in and through all that you're going to do in life, everything that God has in mind, the devil has another intention. Kill, steal, and destroy. Invade, tear down, rip asunder, do whatever he can to hinder you and get you to live a lesser life. That's why hedge building is so important. Job 1 verse 10. Job 1 verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him? I'm just pointing out the fact there was one. And it was not physical. It was spiritual. It was divine. It was supernatural. And it was a little mysterious. But there was a conversation in heaven where the angels met with God himself. And they were discussing planet earth, which we see in the Bible, happens all the time. And the name of Job was brought up. And we also have one of the angels here that's actually a fallen angel that's going to speak against God and against Job. And this fallen angel, Lucifer, our Satan, the enemy of our soul, says to God, have you considered Job? God says, considered what? Well, have you considered that he only serves you for what he has? He has a wrong motive. If you would take down the hedge around his life, and you would remove the things you've given him, I guarantee you that man will curse you to your face. He only serves you because he puts the nickel in and out comes what he wants. 
And of course, he has wealth and abundance and, and children and all the things going on around his plantation. But if you ever take down that man's hedge, I guarantee you something will happen in his life. Now, Job and the whole book of Job, of course, is teaching in itself. But the idea is that there was a hedge. There was something divine. There was something supernatural. There was something that the devil could not penetrate. So we're talking about hedges in your life. In Job 1 and verse 10, there are five of them. Here's the five hedges. The five hedges that we're talking about is the prayer hedge, personal, relational, possessions, and favor. Now, these five hedges are pointed out in Job 1.10 and other scriptures. So the five hedges, as, as the enemy talks to Job, he says, you know, talking about Job to God, he says, you put a hedge around him, you put a hedge around his household, you put a, re a hedge around everything he has. You have blessed the work of his hands. He has flocks and herds. So there's five hedges that I can see. One is the prayer hedge because Job is a priest and a prayer man and built his hedge by prayer. And you go on to Job 2 and 3, you will find that. Two is a personal hedge. Three, a relational hedge, household, his servants, his family, and extended. Fourth, possessions hedge, where we are today, the possessions hedge. And five is a favor hedge. Everyone say out loud, I am a hedge builder. I'm building my prayer hedge. Now, if you don't, I can't do much to help you. If you don't, I can't really usurp your personal authority to somehow get into your world and build that hedge around your mind, put it on the helmet of salvation or the shield of faith or the shoes of peace and, and doing some things that are disciplines that actually you can then resist the work of the devil. I can't do that for you. I can only teach you that the prayer hedge is very valuable. And then the personal hedge. I can't make you build a personal hedge, but I gave you eight disciplines that if you were to build a personal hedge, there are eight things you would have to do in order to build a personal hedge. No one else can build a hedge for you. You have to build the hedge yourself. I can tell you how to build a relational hedge, but you're the one that has to apply it. I can tell you who to keep out, what to keep out, what are biblical boundaries, what will uh, absolutely demolish your relationships, what will build your relationship. I can help you. I can give you knowledge. I can pasture you into a conviction. I can open your mind to consider things, but at the end of the day, you've got to do it. And so if you're letting things ruin the relational hedge, if you're allowing non-biblical relationships, if you're doing non-biblical things, if you're allowing that to penetrate your life, that hedge will be broken down. Your relational hedge, when it's broken down, is a tough one to rebuild. Now, take down the possessions hedge. What we're talking about right now today, and we're going to pray about the possessions hedge. Possessions not being a negative word, not being an evil word, not being something I want you to be delivered from. I want to teach you what the Bible says about your possession, because we all have them. And we will have them our whole life little, lot, whatever, we will have possessions. The possessions hedge is built by establishing God-proven principles that protect the things, and we all have a lot of things. We are stewards over. 
stewardship and hedge building when it comes to possessions and in Job's life and ours are properties. We're stewards of our property. Our useful possessions. Why? Because there's some possessions that are not useful. They're evil. They're wrong. Get rid of them. If you have a Ouija board, throw it out. That's not a possession God's going to use. If you have a pornography thing, throw it out. If you have a DVD, that's wrong. You got to throw it. I'm talking about the right possession. There are some possessions you should not have. And those possessions are forbidden by the scripture. You need to figure those out and get rid of them because God won't guard them and the enemy will use them against your own life. So what you possess is very, very, very serious in your life on how you're going to live for God and what kind of a person you will be. Thank God there are people that have possessions that God can use. There are people that have built margins into their life. There are people that can use their properties and their incomes and their business and their homes and their cars and everything else. There are people that have possessions that actually use those possessions like the man who owned the donkey that gave the donkey to Jesus that he could ride on that donkey into the city. Thank God that the man had a donkey. Thank God that he had a possession that he could, he could say, oh, you need a donkey? I own one. Well, can we borrow? No, I will give the donkey to you. Go ahead, use my donkey. Thank God there were some homes like Jason, the man who lived next to the synagogue, who had a huge home. He opened his home for the gospel to be preached. And in that home, many things were done. Miracles and, and Jesus and Paul and different people that used homes. Jason was a man who had a home. Thank God for Cornelius. Cornelius had a huge home that Peter went to, had servants. They had a revival there. He was a steward of his home. He was a man who had some things God could use. God wants to use what you have. I thank God for the people that understand this principle on how you build with what you possess. When it comes time for us to do summer camps, and conferences, and missions, and church plan, and everything else. I thank God for the people who have margin. I thank God for the business people in our church that always step up at camp. We gave $70,000 last year to support hundreds of kids to go to our camp to be touched by Jesus, because we believe our camps is a place we can pastor our kids better. And we, we scholarship $70,000 worth of kids at that camp and families. Can somebody shout Hallelujah. Well, that's an awesome thing. But the awesome thing is there are some people that have margin. There are some people that are good stewards. There are some people that are prospering with their possessions. And someone might come along and say, why do you drive that nice car? And why do you have that house? And, and you know, you're kind of a wealthy person. You know, the Bible talks about it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to get into the kingdom of God. And why don't you, well, what do you think about your wealth? Why don't you help the poor? Listen, if you have something to give, you can give it. If you are poor yourself, you can't help the poor. If you are poor, you can't help someone else. I'm not saying it's wrong to be poor. I'm also saying it's not wrong to be rich. And it's not wrong to have goods. It's not wrong to have properties. It's not wrong to have things as long as those things don't have you and you have given them to the Lord. As long as they're not choking you, maneuvering you, manipulating you, and taking advantage of you, God can use the things that he puts into your life if you're a good steward. And if you build a hedge around 
those possessions. My things belong to Jesus, so if things go south or something goes wrong, I talk to Jesus about it and say, Jesus, if you want this investment to go that bad and have nothing, I will not be able to use it at all later on to give to anybody, but it's your investment and my investment. I'm not going to worry about it because it really belongs to you. Everything I have belongs to you, and so if you want to let it go that way, that's fine. You want to bless it, that's fine, but I will use it however you want me to use it. There's an attitude that comes with a possessions hedge. What is your attitude toward your possessions? Well, first, we waste a lot of things that could be used. For an example, Bibles. There's probably not a person in this room, possibly, in all the rooms that I'm speaking to, that doesn't have many Bibles, but most homes have Bibles and boxes and studies and rooms and you only need one. Why don't you give your old Bible away? Where to? Bring it to us. We'll give it away. We'll send it to the mission field. We'll give it away to visitors. We'll do something with your extra Bibles that you don't even use. It's a possession, but we don't use it. Or we could have a second car or a third car, and thank God there are some people that have these, and they'll call us up and say, hey, I want to donate a car when the missionaries come home that they can use when they're home. Thank you very much, as long as the car runs. <laughs> as long as the car is not, you know, taking our missionaries into an endangered species category. But thank God you have a possession that you can say, here's a car that I have. Here's a second home I have at the coast, and I don't need to use it all the time. How about your youth leaders or some of your small groups that get away? Can they use our second home as a retreat center? Absolutely. That would be awesome. We have some people that do that at Eagle Crest, and it really is a blessing. Why? Somewhere along the line, somewhere in their life, they had enough discipline to build hedges around their possessions. And they had enough spirituality to put the possessions into the hands of Jesus. What kind of possessions do you have? What could you give to someone else? You've already raised your children. Give away all the clothes. Find someone in the church and bless the whole family. You have coats you don't wear. If you have five coats and you can't wear all of them, take a couple of those coats, bring it to City Bible. Let us give it to the bridge people living under the bridge. If you have things that you don't need, those possessions can be used in the kingdom of God, to bless other people. If you have that mentality, if you're always living with a hedge, saying, Lord, in this hedge, everything belongs to you. What do you want me to do with it? It could be that second computer you don't use. You find a college kid. Could be that iPad. You've now got a, the newer iPad. Take your old iPad and sell it cheap to one of the Bible college students. An extra bed. When someone moves out and you have an empty nest and you have that furniture and you don't know what to do or I could go on and on and you start looking. My wife was so good at this. She'll think of things to do with people I never think about doing and things to give them as long as she doesn't go into my study and start giving my books away. I bless her in the name of Jesus. She'll come up with ideas that I never came up with. Why? Because everything we have can be given to someone else. Okay, your possessions. Here we go. When you build a hedge, everyone say, I'm a hedge builder. How will the enemy attack your hedge that you put around your possessions? Here's four ways. One, our possession hedge is always a target of attack 
And number one, attacks on our faith for provision because of our circumstance is one of the first attacks that come in. When we begin to understand that we have to build a hedge about what we have and around everything, that's what the Bible says about Job, the Lord built a hedge around everything he had, and it uses these words, on every side. Every side. The enemy could not sneak in anyway. The hedge was built from every side of Job's life and Job's possessions. Everything he had until the enemy did penetrate, but it wasn't because the enemy could penetrate. It's because the Lord lifted the hedge. The devil never did get through the hedge. It's the Lord who lifted the hedge. And not for evil purposes either, for the purpose of proving his motivation point. Unless the Lord lifts the hedge, that hedge cannot be penetrated. And as you look at your hedge, the first hedge, the ingredient to your hedge, the enemy will attack your faith for provision because of your circumstance. And your faith turns into fear. You start believing that your circumstance will last forever. And that what you're going through will never turn around. And this is your lot for life for the rest of your, your life. There's nothing you can do about it because the enemy begins to attack your, your faith for provision. And the more you have lack, the more you can't get your faith up to see the provision God has for you, whether it's a job or a business or school money or whatever it is. If the enemy begins to penetrate that hedge and take somehow your faith away for the basic thing called provision. It's a great thing when you're young for you to pray and say, God, you're my provider. It's not my parents. It's not just my job. I'm going to turn my mind toward you. The circumstance looks bad. It doesn't look like I'll get back into college next semester, but you're my provider. And I'm going to start right now believing that you can do something. I remember the first person that ever gave me a check for college. Her name was Mary. Mary Fox. I was struggling going to San Bernardino Community College, living in California, just a young guy, buying books, anything. I had, no, I had money for nothing. She came up one service out of the blue. She said, Frank DiMazio, I have something for you. First time it ever happened in my life. I said, okay. She handed me a check. Now this you know, it's a few years back. You know, this is like 18, 20, 18, 26, right in there. <laughs> she gives me a check for $125. That was a massive amount of money for me. And it paid my school bill. It paid for my books. It helped me go a little further. And you know, it also helped me think this way. God knows my needs. God is already ahead of me. God can do it for a little bit. He can do it for a whole lot. God will never, ever let you go down the wrong road if you have faith for him to provide where you are. He is a provider. He can make bananas grow on telephone poles if he wants to. He is a provider. He brings water out of rocks. He brings manna in wilderness. He takes a little bowl of oil and he does something in a woman's house. He takes a little loaf of bread and he feeds 5,000 people. Come on. If you have a little loaf of bread, a little oil, a little this, a little that, a little faith, what Whatever you have, bring it to Jesus. Say, Lord, I believe my circumstance is not a dictator to my faith. And what I'm doing right now is not the way I'm going to live. I believe you're going to break through in my life. You're going to supply abundantly. I'm not going to look over here. I'm going to look at the Bible and I'm going to say, God is good. God is great. And he's able to provide. Come on. Can I hear an amen? 
You can start losing that if you put in 100 applications for a job and everyone says no. Everyone starts getting depressed and it's the worst thing in the world for a man or a woman to be out of work. I never belittle that. It's an awesome trial. It's an amazing penetration to your character and your worth and your value and, and it can get depressing in any economy and you get turned down and pretty soon the devil just says you're dumb. You're not very smart. You don't know how to do things. You're not that good. You should have gone to college earlier. You should have got trained better. You should have changed jobs earlier. You don't have any insight. Your whole family is going to be wrecked. And he just starts bombarding you because of the circumstance. I'm here to tell you that the devil is a liar. He always lies. That's what he does best. He lies. He lies. He lies. You are not dumb. You're not behind. You're a child of God. God will provide for you. Lift your head up. Get your spirit filled with a spirit of faith and declare yourself to be a person that will have water out of the rock and manna in the wilderness. Come on, church. Give the Lord a clap offering this morning. I believe. Hudson Taylor, who was one of the great missionaries and endured, oh my goodness, more tragedy in one life. I can hardly even read his biography sometime because it just discourages me so much. Unbelievable. Child dies. Wife dies. Stuff happens. Fire burns up all of his translations. This happens. That, I mean, over and over again. But he always rebounded. He always had a perspective on it all. Here's a quote from him that I, I think is just so opens a window into this man's soul. Hudson Taylor says, Satan may build a hedge about us. Remember, there's a God hedge, and there can also be a Satan hedge, the hedge that you want to get rid of. And this is what he's talking about. Satan may build a hedge about us, fence us in, hinder our movements, but he cannot roof us in and prevent us from looking up. He might crowd us. He might try to destroy us. He might come at us at every angle. But there's one thing he can't do. He can't stop you from looking up. If you look this way, it's, oh, that looks bad. That looks worse. This is worse. And I think what's coming is going to even be worse than that. And you look around and think, my God, what will I do? And the Bible would say, and the Lord would say, lift your head, lift your eyes, and focus on Almighty God. Even though you see this and that, you can look up and declare God for who He is in your life. Don't let your faith hedge get burned down. Don't let it. It will direct your life the wrong way. Second attack. He attacks our expectation for abundance because of our lack. If you're a person that's lived in lack for a long time, lack becomes your attitude. Lack becomes your expectation. You're not disappointed with the things you don't get because you don't expect it. Your lack atmosphere, your lack of everything, whether it's in the money area, the house area, the job area, the business area, the lack, the spirit of lack gets in a person until their whole mentality begins to think lack. Less ain't going to happen. This is my lot in life. The devil comes in to attack that part of our hedge so that our expectation level drops so low 
that we don't expect anything to happen. Number three, he attacks on our fears. Now, this is an interesting thought of losing what we already have. Not just attack on what we want, we can't get. Where we're going, we can't go. We have lack and we can't seem to break it. Then he starts coming in with a spirit of fear. And the fear is, you're going to lose what you have. He lost his house. She lost her house. He lost his job. He lost his business. He lost his kid. He lost his wife. And I'll tell you right now, buddy, your loss is on its way. So your mind starts working on a lesser level and fear starts coming in and you actually start fearing to lose even what you have. And that is the devil's trick to get you to have torment because it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, wherever there is fear, there is torment. If there's fear, there is torment. And the torment is you start hassling your mind with what could be. You wake up the morning dreaming about the bad thing. At nighttime, you dream about the bad thing. You have a fear of what might happen, what you will lose, how you will relocate, how you rebuild the business, how you get a better job, how you get your kid back, how you do that. What about my marriage? My parents didn't make it. Their parents got divorced. My brother and sister are divorced. I know that it's going to land on me. I just know it. I just know it. Our whole family is cursed with divorce, and I can't break this thing out of my life. I just know it's on its way. I'm going to lose what I have. I want to come against that in the name of Jesus right now and say to you, you're a brand new creature in Christ. You live by the word of God. You live by the spirit of faith. You do not live by what your heritage is in your family or what other people are doing and has happened to them. If you are married, your marriage will be blessed. And that's what you declare to your children and to everyone around you. I'm blessed. My marriage is blessed. Others have made mistakes, but we are getting through it. Why? Because I am not going to lose what God has given me. This is my inheritance and I'm not going to lose what God has given me. And you push that spirit of fear right out. Amen. Not lose. God has given you. Number four, attacks on our thoughts. How does he do it? Simple. It works with everybody. Worry and anxiety. Now, it doesn't sound like a big deal when you say, well, I'm really worried about this, but worry do you know what the word worry means? How many in the rooms know what the word worry means? The word worry means to choke, to be strangled. That's what it means. So when you say, this thing has a throat hold on me, you're saying it exactly the way it is. When you're saying this thing has me by the neck, you're, you're actually saying exactly what worry does. Worry gets you and begins to choke life out of you, choke faith out of you. It begins to strangle and mangle your personality. It begins to take you down a road that you don't want to go down because you just begin to believe every bad thing. True story, man selling hot dogs in New York. No education, just doing it to feed his family. He kept selling hot dogs, more hot dogs, bigger orders, more hot dogs to sell. He just kept multiplying until he actually became a fairly wealthy street vendor selling hot dogs. He sent his boy to college. Boy came back, back from college and said to his dad, Dad, do you not understand business principles? 
Dad says, well, I think I do, son. Do you, do you not understand that we're in a depression? Well, no, I guess I don't, son. What, what do you mean? We're in a depression, Dad. Things are going down. People are eating less. Hot dogs are on their way out. People can't afford hot dogs. So the man then began to cut his order down from the hot dog factory to his little cart. And when people came to get the hot dog, he didn't have any because he would run out every day. And pretty soon he started losing customers because he kept running out of hot dogs. And finally, he lost so many customers, he couldn't buy anymore. And so what happened, he lost his little cart and his vendor's license, and he went out of business, and he called his son. Son, you're right. We're in a depression. Hello? What you see and believe is not always what you should see or believe. Because out of fear and the newspaper saying, this is what's going on, everyone, this is what's happening, you better change this, you better stop that, you better stop dreaming, you better not do anything to enlarge, you better not, you better not, you better not. Don't you understand how hard things are? And so you start responding to the spirit of fear with worry, it gets a chokehold on you, and before you know it, your business is going backward when actually the economy hasn't changed your business. You changed your business. You changed your dream. When we needed to get some margin in our City Bible Church campuses and life and everything, I said to the guys, let's pray about selling the back property at 217. We don't need it. They said, sure, let's do it. We tried. But I had great expectation. Why? Because I had a positive mindset toward it. And I'm just saying, I really believe it will sell. Really believe it will sell. It kept going on. Then the economy hit. And the guy said, man, even the people helping us host the property to sell it, I said, it's not going to move, Frank. I mean, things are really bad. But in the midst of all the bad, I said, I told Robert, and this gospel truth, I told Robert, this property is going to sell. You mark my word. This property is going to sell. We're going to get our money out of it. Robert, being a man of faith or just wanting to make me happy, I don't know, agrees, yes. Maybe he went to that guy and said, man, you got to pray for Pastor Frank. He's, he's not thinking right. I don't know. But then in came Westside School. Westside School said, we're going to make you a deal that you can't refuse. I said, are you the mafia? What do you mean a deal that we can't? We're going to do such a great deal for you. You're going to want to do this. I said, I don't want to do this. Why? They wanted to buy the whole property, not the acres, but the building, everything. They wanted to buy our entire vision. I said, it's not for sale. Property is, that's not for sale. I said, Frank, you should talk with us. We have an idea. I said, it's not for sale. The guy said, maybe we should talk to him. I said, maybe we should. So let's listen to them. So I bring my smart people in who can listen to other smart people that makes me look smart. So I bring my smart people in so they can listen to the smart people and then afterward, through tongues and interpretation, tell me what happened. <laughs> How many know what I'm talking about? You get in all that stuff. Sometimes it's complicated. And they made us a deal. Listen, what we're going to do, we're going to buy your property, the whole thing. And then we're going to remodel that property. We're going to build a gymnasium. And we're going to let you lease back from us 
every weekend. Nobody else will ever. It's your building every weekend. You can use our gymnasium, use the sanctuary, which we're going to remodel, and eventually build one that seats 500 or 600 and get out of this little sanctuary we're in because of the school, and we're going to do this and do that. Okay, fine. What's it going to cost us? We're going to give you rent that will be here. Well, the rent is much, 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 much lower, 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 lower than what we pay for the loan, the loan, the loan, the loan right now. And so I'm saying that, is that possible? You're going to let us lease for how long? And this is and we, we will save three to $400,000 a year. There's a downside. And the business guy says, there's got to be a downside to this. We got to find it. There's no downside. And as I discussed, and I finally said, maybe, maybe this is a blessing. Doesn't have to be a downside. It's just God saying, I'm, I'm going to bless you. How are you going to do it? You, well, you just get out of the way. Just now 217. We will have more buildings, better buildings, better space, better gymnasium, new everything, all the stuff. They're going to pay for the janitorial, the maintenance, put on a new roof. They're doing everything with their money. I like anything that uses their money. It's a blessing. And they said, we just want your church to stay there because your church is blessed. And you guys are awesome. And we want a church in this property with us. I said, well, okie dokie. <laughs> so be it. And that deal is not just good preaching. It closes here in another few weeks. It's a done deal. It has already passed through everything. Come on, give the Lord a shout in the clear, especially 217 over there. A Lord, shout out for his provision. This is my point. Whether you're a church or a business or Whatever you're doing. God can bless you in hard times. Don't let fear capture every bit of your faith. Don't let an imagination come in. Believe. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's our God. Can I hear an amen? I'm going to keep selling hot dogs. My cart is not going to submit itself to the smart person who said, don't you know? Sometimes it's better not to know some of those things. Just do what God tells you to do. Okay. Walter Chrysler, founder of Chrysler. Motor company used to write down everything he was worried about, put it in a box on his desk. He would wait until the next week to review it. He generally found that most of what he was going to worry about resolved itself without him worrying another week about it. He was worrying about things he didn't have to worry about. If you're a worry wart and you're worrying all the time and full of anxiety and it pushes you to the limit, will you raise your hand right now? Come on, just raise your hand. I want to see all the worry words. Come on, please be honest in front of Jesus. Jesus knows you, and if you're not honest right now, he will deal with you. Come on, how many have problems with worry sometimes? How many have problems with more than just worry? Anxiety gets a hold of you. Pointing toward her, huh? It's real bad. Do you help her get through it? She's saying, no, you're bad. You got to lift your head above her head and get worry out of her thinking. 
I'm not prophesying, but kind of. I kind of felt, you know, something going there. Come on. We want to get rid of worry. It's not welcome in our place. You don't build life with worry. You don't build life with anxiety attacks. You don't build life with fear attacks. You don't build life with strongholds always tormenting your mind. You got to get above that and make sure that you understand God built a hedge around you, your possessions, your career, your job, your business. Give it back to Jesus. Walk closer to Jesus. Do more prayer and fasting. Get a word from the Lord. Do some things you're supposed to do and shake the tree so that you can see the fruit that God has for you. Do not let the enemy cap your faith. Can I hear an amen? Okay, I'm believing. One last scripture. I'm believing for this to happen. Bands of the platforms. The possession hedge. Everyone say possession hedge. Everyone say, I'm going to repair it. Come on. Say out loud, I'm going to restore it. Say out loud, I'm going to grow it strong. Say out loud, devil, you're not welcome. In my hedge, I'm going to repair it. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to grow it. Strong. Strong. I believe. No, I'm preaching now. You're just listening. Here's a scripture for you. Isaiah 58, 12. Those from among you shall build. Isaiah 58, 12. Pray it this week. Shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up foundations. Some of us need to get on with that. You shall be called a repairer of the breach. There's a breach. Come on, repair it. And a restorer. Man, that's a great scripture. A great scripture. Restore the hedge to a healthy place of strength by focusing on prayer, speaking the word. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite readers of all time. I read a lot of his stuff. I love him. He's in heaven and to have faith, we must immerse ourselves in the Scripture. Faith must be exercised if it is to be effective. Faith, like a muscle, grows by stretching. How many of you have been stretched lately? Come on, take advantage of it. It's lifting kingdom weights. Ooh, come on, Holy Ghost. I'm getting stretched. I'm getting sore. I can't believe I'm lifting this weight. Last year, I couldn't have picked up a five-pounder. This year, I'm up to 10-pound trial. 10-pound trial. And I can just pump them all day long, lift them over my head. 20 pounds is nothing. Why? Because your faith muscle is being stretched to the place where those things that used to be heavy and torment you and destroy you, you've got through them and over them, and you have become muscle-bound. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you got faith muscles? How many of you would say, if you don't, now listen, Jimmy, if you don't have faith muscles, I'll loan you my trial so you can get some. How about that? I'll give you a few of my weights and you can go at it. Come on, stand to your feet. How many got something out of this message? Come on. Put your hands right on your heart. Pray out loud. Jesus, come on, Jesus. Here I am. I got helped. I'm growing up. Taking over. I'm alive in Jesus. 